You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Literature Corner. With another excellent South African, one of our finest writers, is with me, Dr. Sapio Mahala. His latest book is an anthology of stories with the absolutely sumptuous title, Red Apple Dreams and other stories. And he joins me for the next 30 minutes or so. So, P.O., good morning, and thanks so much for coming to the studio. Good morning, and good morning to say no to listeners, and thanks for having me. I've got a billion and one questions, and you and I can talk for hours about literature um, as fellow Makanda homeboys and fellow authors. But let's jump, jump straight into the stories. Red Apple Dreams is the first story in the anthology, it is deeply personal. It's very moving. I suggest people have tissues ready when they read it. Spoiler alert, I'm going to read from it while him and I talk about the story. But I think I was trying to prepare because I try not to give away stuff in stories so that I trick my listeners into buying books. But on this occasion, I think even if we tell you some of the stories and how they end, you will still enjoy reading them so you don't have to change the channel. Red Apple Dreams is deeply personal for you. You wrote it on the 30th anniversary of the passing of your mom. Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, my mother passed away on the 1st of August 1986. So um, I never really had, a, had an opportunity because I was, a, as a, I was very young at the time. So I never really had a chance to talk about my mother in any way. So... Um, I was sitting um, at home uh, in 2016, just reflecting on my on my life and um, what I could I could remember about my mother, mm. and then I ended up penning uh, what I call the Red Apple Dreams, which, by the way, um, was not written with the intent of publishing at the time. Mm. Yeah. I don't think in this first person narration of the story that the name of the narrator is even mentioned. I'm going over it again. Because this is a little boy recollection of life in the 80s in a highly violent, politicized context where life flips between two countries. You were young when you went overseas. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, p- p- part of the story is is for me to claim my my story credentials. But, uh, <laughs> I was in exile for for two years. Yeah. <laughs> so let's tell a little bit of the story, and then I'll tell you where I'm going to read from. So let's just bring it up to speed. So we're talking about the middle of the '80s, and there's a lot going on in places like Grahamstown and the rest of the country. There's a lot of violence going on. Kids have to be uprooted. And if you're lucky and you have family in another country, like the Siskai, you might be shipped off there. What happens to our young narrator in the story? Yeah, the young narrator in the story um, is uh, shipped off to, to Alice Edigeni, um, where he tries to continue with, with studies because uh, back home in Grahamstown, South Africa, um, that there are school boycotts. And then, um, yeah, he, he, he gets one visitation from his mother. And um, like any other child, uh, he's excited to see his mother. And uh, it turns out that that was the last time he saw her alive. Your mom in the story is almost like an apparition rather than a very clear mom 
picture being portrayed. She isn't rich as a character in detail. And the first time she appears in the short story is, of course, as the school boycotts go on, kids are being fetched by parents uh, from the school. And everyone looks out to see, is my mom also going to come and fetch me? So there's a cameo appearance there. Then you find yourself in the Siskai. Then mom again comes to visit. You come back from school and, and, and there mom is. And again, you know, like, like almost like, I hope this is not an insult to you. Or this should be a compliment. Like some could see a characters like Michael K. Mom in this short story has got very little characterization because your recollection as an adult of mom shows how when one loses mom so far back, memory started fading and a short story that is deeply autobiographical is also an exercise in remembering, which is an interesting psychological phenomenon. Ronnie Kestrel's talked about that with me for his early childhood memoirs that is just penned. But what's interesting is that even though mom is a very very under-described character in the story of Red Apple Dreams. The Red Apple is quite prominent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's also the fact that uh, um, in my lived experience, I, I, I was with my mother for a very short time, um, just over 10 years. And um, so, uh, but her memory um, remains and uh, it's... Uh, Represented among other things by by the red apple, um, the context you you'll understand when mm. you read <laughs> the story. Now let me read from the story because then the kids one day just find themselves suddenly being taken back to Grahamstown and no one really talks and there's a lot here that will be familiar to all families but especially black family and how we deal with the range of issues. We'll talk about the issues in a second, but let me read for you. When we got home, the mattress was on the floor. Adults spoke in hushed voices. Mothers of the community were informed that the kids had arrived. We were set down. Even my 11-year-old mind realized that something was amiss. My children, started my aunt. My sister did not wait to hear one word more. She burst out crying. I sat there, motionless. A single tear trickled down my left cheek. I didn't want to cry. I wanted to hear what the mothers had to say. I sat there wondering whether it was my father or my mother who had died. It was certain there was death in the family. The question was who? The puzzle was solved as I saw my father arriving, getting out of a relative's car. He was wearing a blue shirt and a hat, and I knew that I no longer had a mother. But no one came to tell me what happened. I could hear whispers as if people were shocked at the way she died. But I didn't know how my mother had died. I wanted to know why she died. I wanted to know her final thoughts before she gasped her last breath. But no one was talking to me. I hoped that all would be revealed at the funeral. It would be the first funeral I had ever attended. I was looking forward to it. I wanted to see my mother's remains. must have been deeply personal and painful to, to write that and to decide to publish it. Yeah, well, um, I, I think writing was easier uh, in the sense that uh, it's uh, 
it's something that had be, has stayed with me for, for, for that long. Mm. And, um, you know, it had been simmering. It's one of those stories that I, I sat down and wrote from being to end. Mm. Uh, but the, the decision to share it with the next person, the decision to now share it with the public, uh, is one that was really difficult. Mm. Um, the first person I shared with was, um, is a friend of mine, uh, Jezalyn Pandaram, uh, who, who is, um, my, my designer. Mm. So, um, I shared it with her because she had lost her, her parents when she was young also. So I thought, you know, um, it's something she could relate to. But um, her, her response was to send me uh, the cover of the story, of, of the book. <laughs> so I was like explaining to her that, no, I have no intentions of publishing this. But mm. she said, no, you have to publish this. This is the kind of book that I would, I would, I would buy. Mm. And um, I believe that anyone who has lost a loved one or more especially in this case, uh, their parents would definitely want to read it and, and uh, would relate to the story. Before we take a break, let's just spend 30 seconds just talking about the themes. In the introduction, when you talk about the genre of short stories, you make clear something that many short story writers, unfortunately, have to keep repeating for those who misunderstand the short story. A short story is not a concept note for a novel. It is not a short novel. It is an entire offering, and it's complete. And it's also difficult to write because of the economy of language and words that challenge you as a writer. That is a very short story, one of the shorter ones in the collection, and yet it's so rich with themes. And we could spend an entire hour just talking about the title short story. I don't want to go through all of those themes, but there's one that I want to mention and then just pick up on that for me. Isn't it interesting how we don't talk the full truth to children even when they can comprehend? I remember, and you triggered this in me, coming home once, and my grandmother had died, and I was coming back from Graham College, also in Grahamstown. No one tells you, as the 13, 14-year-old, what's gone on. And, and it's amazing how we just, as an 11-year-old, have to absorb or listen in on the adult conversation, piece together the puzzles. But when you wrote the story on the 30th anniversary of your mom's death, it's very clear that the 11-year-old was fully present in that event. Yeah, absolutely. And... um well, the reality is that uh, for as long as you 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 don't um, open up, as long as you you, you don't uh, discuss such things with the with the children, um, they can discern. They have discerning minds. That they can, and such things will stay on. I mean, in, in their minds, um, you know, not talking about it doesn't mean that they have forgotten about it. Absolutely. Twenty minutes after eleven, if you've just joined us, this is the literature corner, and we are discussing Red Apple Dreams, specifically that story from the latest offering of Sapio Mahala, which is a collection of stories, an absolutely stunning one at that. The literature corner. Twenty-two minutes after eleven o'clock, we're talking about Red Apple Dreams and other stories written by Sapio Mahala. Uh, one of the latest stories I absolutely, absolutely enjoyed uh, is Old Man's Horse. Tell the public what Old Man's Horse is about. Well, Old Man's Horse, uh, first of all, is a story set uh, entirely in a rural area. Um, well, I grew up in a city, the City of Saints. Um, so I, I, I heard a lot of stories uh, about rural setup from my wife, who's from Tsomo. Um, so it's, uh, some of the activities that happen, especially in, uh, uh, during the, uh, festive season, 
in, in the rural areas. Yep. And it's, it's what I liked about the story, I mean, there are many things here we can talk about, right, is how sometimes, particularly in contemporary South African literature, we often center the cityscape. And I'm still working my way through the entire anthology. And one of the things you said to me is, if you can, please try and read that story in particular. And there are many, many reasons. There are many themes there that come out. There's a very interesting feminist theme that emerges, all sorts of other themes that one can wonderfully extract and teach when you're teaching this uh, short story. But I thought one of the first things about this this short story that's important is that it shows the geographical span. We have very complicated identities as black South Africans. And the city is not naturally where we find ourselves. We find ourselves there as a result of, in places like Egoli, what mining did and then the laws that forced us from rural areas into the cities. And I'm not sure what you were trying to achieve here. Maybe you were just telling a story. But I think it's wonderful that the setting invites us to think about, particularly with Geta Zamba around the corner, the ways in which our city identities that we come to take on, living here in Santon, in Pretoria, how those are enmeshed with parts of our cultural identity that live elsewhere. Yeah, I think many of us live dual lives. Um, we we have uh, the city life, um, and we also, um, are, you know, rural dwellers in, in, in many ways. So um, most of the stories here are, are, are set in, in either of the two. Like um, I, I've lived um, in Joburg now for about uh, seventeen years. I mean, well, in Gauteng for about seventeen years. But um, you know, I am. I'm quite familiar with uh, with life on the other side as well. So um, in the first instance, um, I was trying to explore both landscapes, uh, but also uh, the the cultural nuances, the the kind of environment and the perceptions of people coming from uh, uh, these the, these uh, landscape. Because when you are in the city coming from uh, from a rural area, there's there are certain perceptions and, and the other way around. And uh, if, if if I can share, you know, um, what my experience coming to Joburg mm. uh, in 2002, uh, one was told that uh, uh, you'll be robbed uh, on arrival at a park station <laughs> because you, you're coming from Ikhin uh, and all of that. <laughs> and uh, to my disappointment, um, I, I never got robbed until... Uh, <laughs> Uh, when it finally happened, like in the in the 17 years that I've lived here, uh, I only got robbed once, and I was robbed by a white man. Um, so that experience uh, led to me writing a story called uh, "Robbed by a Mad White Man," hmm. which is which is featured here. Hmm. Well, let me read about from Old Man's uh, Horse again to give you a sense of the writing of Sapio. So we've got the main character who finds himself going back to the village uh, by the name of Sam Kelo. And then the following un- unfolds. And this is just one scene. This is one of the longer pieces in the book. And it's beautiful because uh, it raises so many fantastic themes, uh, not in a didactic manner, but uh, even the half-thinking reader will immediately see everything jumping out at them in the stories that are told so effortlessly. Samkelo um, heaved a sigh of relief. He was free. He was watching the horse of an old man. 
and then he continues walking on and then the following is written. The first homestead he passed seemed empty, so was the second one. And at the third one, a woman was busy chopping wood. He stood by the crawl trying to get her attention. She wielded the axe, swinging it in the air before striking the log in the middle, splintering it into two equal pieces. She took these and put them on a growing pile before picking up another log. She kept on chopping wood without as much as lifting her head, and he decided to move on. Are you going to leave just like that? said the woman who had been ignoring him. He stopped in his tracks, turned around, and flashed a grin. He recognized her. Her name was Nomzamo, and she had been friends with his younger sister, but she had grown now. I thought you were busy, he apologized. Of course I'm busy. Do you think I'm playing with his wood? What I mean is, he tried to explain, but Nomzamo interjected. Stop bluffing and help me chop the wood, she instructed. He took a step forward, handed his bag to Nomzamo and picked up the, her axe. He took a tree branch, stepped on it with the tip of his toes and hit it hard in the middle with the axe. The pieces went flying and one hit the woman in the back as she bent down, putting a kettle on the fire. City people! She exclaimed irritably, you can't even chop wood these days. This Johannesburg is ruining our men. I love her. And I don't know whether she echoes a real person that you had met or your wife, but she is, <laughs> she's wonderfully vivacious. Later on in the story, she also challenges established views about the role of women uh, in, in the village. How important is she in the story and from where in your own experiences as, as a writer was she birthed? Well, she, she's a combination of, of, of many people I know, uh, many strong women uh, that are around me. Um, you'd know that I was the, actually, I'm the only boy in my family. So um, I'm essentially brought up by very strong women, my, my sisters. Uh, three of them, and uh, I'm also a father to to three, three girls, mm. so I'm I'm dominated in my house. Um, so yeah, uh, she she is inspired by the many different characters that have interacted with uh, very strong women, uh, and also uh, going to the villages. Um, there are women who who are essentially manning households. Um, yeah, there are women who who do not dip. The literature corner. Twenty six minutes before noon, we're just completing our conversation with author Sapio Mahala, who has gifted us Red Apple Dreams and other stories. A fantastic um, collection that uh, really, really, really is worth buying. Many of you enjoy his work. I can see from social media. Some of you delighted that we have him in studio. Yeah, it's been. Long overdue. Why is that? You play hard to get when I always <laughs> want to talk literature to him. Um, but he's, he's very, very busy. So I'm glad that we have him on the show today. Sipo says, I just finished the fourth story last night. And, um, now you, <laughs> uh, want, uh, me to jump to old man's horse. Love the part you read from and find it both funny and compelling. Um, as far as the feminist uh, theme is concerned, I'm not going to read because we don't have time from the very last story, but, no Man's Land to me was really, really, really interesting. And there you have a story of a student that uh, is studying at Wits University and trying to understand an important part of his family history that is related to 
the land where they had lived and has to go back and speak to these white people fluent in Tosa about access to that particular land. And that story is just so contemporary in so many ways. The elite black politician that is in cahoots with a white person without necessarily caring about the little person. The familiar scene of when that student arrives and is being respected more than the blacks on the back of the bucky because he has some education and so the Bursian is happy for him to share the front seat with a police dog. What what inspired the themes that you that you explore in that story? It's the last story, but it's a story that is just so rich. It intersects key questions in identity, political science, and other aspects of our contemporary discourse. Well, um, that story also is is personal in in in, in so many different ways. Um, uh, on the one hand, um, in my quest to to find my 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 mother's grave. I met up with uh, with a guy who's an archaeologist, and um, he was saying to me, "You know, I I just told him what I do and all of that." He was like, "You went to school to to study literature and to to analyze books." I said, "Yes." <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, so you also went to school just to 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 dig graves?" <laughs> so I thought, well, uh, um, I mean, I, I I started taking interest in the area of archaeology. Mm. Uh, that that is one aspect of it. But the other reality is uh, that uh, my maternal side of the family, uh, my my grandfather, um, was buried uh, in this area that later became a farm. And, uh, is now a game reserve. And, uh, because it's a game reserve with the big five, mm. um, it's difficult for us to, to visit the grave. And, um, you know, we can't have access to the area. Yep. And the title is so powerful and literary and it's got so much different meanings imbued with it. We'll just touch on one, one scene in particular where that scene is so fantastically under described in terms of not being again, annoyingly didactic that you could miss the poignancy of it where the young student speaks to Omar and Omar is basically on some what do you mean who used to be the owners of this land even though Omar is aware that the main characters ancestors were there and it's a Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant example of what Ntokozo Kwabe was talking about in the last hour, which is erasure, erasure of black thought, black existence, black history. So you acknowledge and you even praise this black family that were fantastically loyal, loyal servants and laborers to you. And you're the audacity of not recognizing that the land wasn't empty when you arrived. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, p- p- part of the intention was to problematize the the, the, the land question, the the, 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 the discourse around uh, land, and uh, yes, indeed, while to some um, land could be an economic issue, uh, but it is also a fact of history. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it is also about heritage. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the, those are some of the areas that I, I try to explore mm-hmm. in in this particular story. Yeah. Last thing about this, about the stories. You have other writers, older generation, contemporaries, including our friend Zuki Iswa, that appear in this anthology. 
Describe to the readers, many are familiar with the suit, but you, you also have an intertextual, as you clever academics say, engagement with James Matthew, uh, Matthews, who's one of our most important writers and poets. And I love the playfulness of reading a story. The most recent novel version of that, as we know, is Fiona Snickers, mm. who responded to Jane Kutsia's uh, novel Disgrace by writing it from the perspective of a character that wasn't the central character. You've been doing that and you love doing that. Um, tell us a little bit about that and then give the readers who are going to go and buy your book this afternoon, give them a sense of, of what, you were, what you were doing with some of the stories that you engage. Yeah, actually, I, I think the intertextuality um, uh, for me began uh, in 2002 when I, you know, one of my stories, uh, which was essentially my very first published story, um, Bumi's Assignment, which is here, was uh, said to, to have resonances with Ken Temba's story, uh, The Suit, that is. So after visiting The Suit, I realized that there's a gap uh that I could use to start a new story. In other words, uh, writing from the perspective of the man who <laughs> jumped out the window. So I wrote the story. Um, the suit continued, uh, which uh, so far is my most uh, popular story. Um, it's been around for, for, for a very long time. And um, Zugiswa, reading the story in 2006, felt like uh, there's a woman um, who is central to the story, uh, Matilda. So she decided to write um, a story from Matilda's perspective uh, and called it The Just That Feather Suit. So uh, in this anthology, I have uh, all three stories for the first time published together, Ken Timber's The Suit, My The Suit Continued, as well as uh, Azukiswa's um, uh, The Just That Feather Suit. But this created a lot of interest, um, especially in the academia. Um, um, my previous book, African Delights, was prescribed to many, at many universities where they explored that area. Um, so, um, as I'm writing this, this, as I was writing this, this book, um, you know, I thought of a story that really, really inspires me, that, that has touched me and, uh, uh, really encouraged me in short story writing, and that is the park by James Matthews, which was written uh, in the fifties. Yeah. So um, I try to imagine uh, how would be revisiting the park today be like. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote um, a story um, from the perspective of the son. Uh, of the boy uh, in James Matthews' uh, a story, who was uh, essentially who was ejected for the, from the park. And yeah, for those who don't know, just the, the <laughs> one sentence summary: the park is a really beautiful, painful story about petty apartheid and the, how the innocence of children are robbed because of a sign that says "slechts blankets." Yep, absolutely. So now, uh, in post-apartheid South Africa, I'll try to revisit the park. And, uh, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> and if you know how he does that, you're going to have to buy the book. Short stories, are they hard to write or are they easier than novels or is that a silly comparison? Um, I, I think it's, it, it's not a very fair comparison because they are completely different genres. Um, but uh, personally, um, I'm more comfortable with short stories uh, simply because uh, uh, they are less demanding in terms of time. 
Um, as I said earlier, but more demanding in some ways in terms of technique. Yes, I, I was about to say exactly that. That um, you know, in terms of time, they are less demanding because some of the stories I'm able to write them in one sitting, but um, they are quite uh, more challenging in terms of technique uh, because you have to use fewer characters. You have to be economical with your words. Um, you have to be as uh, as brief as possible and, and as concise as possible when writing short stories. Okay. Where can we get hold of uh, this book? Well, this book is uh, independently uh, published. Um, I'm saying so because uh, all my previous works uh, were published with the mainstream publishers. So as a result, it is not yet available at all. Uh, all major bookstores. But if I'm in Joburg, is there somewhere I can go If again? you're in Joburg, most of the independent bookstores um, um, uh, sell the, the book. Um, it's also... Love uh, Books, do they have it? L- Love Books, uh, they do have it. Shara Books, they do have it. Uh, Market Theatre, which opens until very late, uh, um, ha- has the book. Yeah. Uh, but so mo- go to those ones. Those are, those are independent books that I personally love. I think it's important that we break the EB... Exclusive Books Monopoly as well. I hope exclusive bookstores will not be idiotic. We're talking here about an award-winning, absolutely brilliant South African, African author, that they will buy your book in high quantities and stock them. Um, and if they don't, we'll continue to make them annoyed with us by reminding them that they ghost important black and African voices, um, with very few exceptions, but the exceptions don't prove the rule. But in the meantime, support our independent bookstores because they often take an even higher business risk recognizing the importance of this project of uh, creating access to black black writing in particular. I wouldn't have put it better myself. But, um, well, for, for those who want to order directly from the, from the publisher, um, you can always visit the Iconic Productions website, www.iconicproductions.co.za, or send email uh, to order books to book sales. Dot, sorry, book sales at iconicproductions.co.za. Book sales at iconicproductions.co.za. Absolutely. Congratulations, my friend, and uh, all the best. I hope the book will sell very well. And um, the off- next opportunity for people to engage this brilliant writer will be at the Ubuntu Book Festival. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, it's a platform where writers can actually interact directly with, uh, with, 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 um, readers. So yeah, five to eight December.